Well, good afternoon and welcome to Round the Table Live with Christian Cern. Um, it's great to have you here with us. And today we're talking about the truth about buffer zones, so-called, um, around abortion clinics. And I'm delighted to be joined by Isabel. Um, Isabel Spruce, uh, remind me of your surname, I've forgotten it now. Vaughan Spruce, it's a bit Born of a mouthful, Tim. That's right, sorry <laughs> about that. Isabel, who heads up um, March for Life and also is campaign director for 40 Days for Life in Birmingham. Um, an expert and a long-standing campaigner and very passionate um, about this issue. And also by uh, Michael Phillips um, from the Christian Legal Centre, one of our top lawyers and, uh, and, and, and involved in these kind of cases. Um, so Isabel, thank you so much for joining us. Can you talk to us? What do you do? Because you actually do go outside abortion clinics, don't you, to try and help women. Tell us about what you actually do. Yeah, so um, for well, for over twenty years now, I've been going outside abortion centres or around that around that amount of time. Um, so I organised Forty Days for Life in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been running that for over ten years, and what we do is we'd um, we'd have a rotor of people who stand maybe in groups of two, possibly three, outside the abortion centre um, with a leaflet of help that they would offer to anyone using the abortion centre. Mm-hmm. Um, this would just be an offer which obviously anyone is free to accept or not. Um, mm-hmm. So inside that leaflet we'd have um, help that would be available to women and this might be financial help, accommodation, um, childcare, counselling, private medical help, you know, whatever a woman might need to continue her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leaflet would also crucially have contact details um, if anyone is hurting after an abortion and wants to right. find some, some healing and some peace. Um, so we'd just be standing there offering help to either people who were going in and also to people coming out of the abortion centre um, and just quietly praying as well. So you're just, so you and this is all volunteers, is it? Um, yes, yeah, yeah. So it'd be just a team of, of, of various Christians who'd be standing there um, yeah. throughout the day. And you just stand there, you're silently praying. It's not obvious you're praying, presumably. Um, and, um, and you're handing out little leaflets to women who come by. Um, what proportion of the women normally take these leaflets? Um, I, I would say actually a lot of women take the leaflets. Um, it's it's actually quite rare to get a negative comment from somebody using the abortion centre. I mean, it does happen, right. um, but that that is quite an uncommon thing. Um, we get much more um, unpleasant comments from passers-by, from locals, right. um, maybe particularly people who... Um, seem to have a different ideology or or seem to not appreciate Christianity because, you know, sometimes they might be aware that we're praying there um, and and object to our praying. Right. Okay. And then you sometimes get involved in conversations as well, presumably, where the women Yeah, very much so. I mean, we know know, well over 100 women who've accepted the help that we've offered them and and continued their pregnancies. Wow. Um, So these are women who at one point were scheduled for an abortion, sometimes... Um, having even had the first abortion pill, um, or first set of pills, right. um, a lot of them had had their first initial appointment at the abortion centre. Um, and just to make it clear, those are just the women that we know about that come and tell us and, and that yeah. maybe you know, we're supporting in one way or another. Often right. we give a leaflet to someone and we don't know the end story. They thank us and say, you know, they're going to have a think or have another talk to somebody. And, and we don't know what, what you know, the end result of that was. But I we know see. many, many women who do you know, choose to continue their pregnancy and, and we support for as long as they need it. 
Wow, that's a lot of people. A hundred people, you know, it's it's a lot, and and more like you say that are probably unknown as well. Um, so what's what's happened here? So you've been doing this for ten years outside this particular clinic, you said. So um, outside this particular clinic, we've been for uh, uh, two to three years, but we've been outside another abortion centre in Birmingham prior to that, which, which closed down. Okay, right. We moved. So yeah. you've been doing this kind of thing for ten years, um, and then. Now the council's imposed a buffer zone. Mike, maybe, can you just outline what, what that means? Yeah, so um, a number of years ago, uh, the government at the time decided that they wanted to try and tackle not just criminal behaviour, but also antisocial behaviour. So very often things might be happening in a particular neighbourhood which were annoying or distressing to, uh, to people, or maybe it's your next door neighbour and their dog is barking continuously something along those lines. And so therefore, uh, the government brought in an act uh, which created a number of powers for councils and for the police uh, to enable them to apply uh, for various orders. And so we may have heard of antisocial behaviour orders, which are now criminal yeah. behaviour orders. And But part of that package that they brought in was this uh, um, device called a PSBO, a Public Spaces Protection Order. So uh, the typical thing that you might expect for a PSBO, maybe there was uh, a group of, for example, travellers who moved into a particular area, they weren't living there before, and, and so the council might apply for in order to prevent um, antisocial behaviour uh, from happening in a park, um, you know, to do with to do with maybe drinking and smoking and so on and taking drugs in that particular area in order to deal with it in, a, in an effective manner. The thing is this, is that what has happened is that these... Um, orders which which you can imagine can be uh, be put to good effect have now been used in this situation whereby people who are standing outside a clinic and very often offering hope offering help offering advice to women are being told you cannot do that and so what happened uh, in the first case in the ealing case is that there was quite a scene outside allegedly outside the um, uh, clinic in ealing in west london and so the local council applied for an order uh, in order to stop any form of um, either protest for or against um, outside the clinic. But that didn't just apply to protest. It also applied to counsellors as well and to people praying. So it was one of those things where you might have gone out fishing for tuna, but you've ended up catching a few wells and dolphins in your net. And, and, and that's what's happened. So that was completely prohibited outside Ealing. And so therefore, it, the reason for that was ostensibly to allow people safe passage into the clinic but the truth is this is that nothing really bad was happening outside ealing apart from until right before they made the application and there was a pro-abortion group outside on a regular basis that was saying that there were problems so and that's the problem with these orders they're not uh, they have criminal consequences because if you breach them you will be committing a crime however the the way in which they're obtained you just have to prove on the civil standard of proof that uh, there is basically problems in a particular area. So one was obtained in Ealing, and now they're being obtained all across the country. So there's an application out, uh, which is being granted in Birmingham. There's one in Bournemouth. There are other ones around the country. And so uh, now we're in a situation whereby the, the uh, situation outside these particular clinics is not nearly as what it was in Ealing, but they are being granted left, right and centre, they don't just prohibit protest, but they also prohibit um, prayer, not just any old prayer, not shouting prayer, but even silent prayer is now illegal outside a clinic, um, let alone approaching women, speaking to women and offering them alternatives to abortion.
So let me just clear about that, Mike. Silent prayer, right? So I could be outside the abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. I could be praying in my mind and I'll be breaking the law. Well, that is effectively uh, what has happened. We don't, we've never tested it, um, apart from one particular case uh, in Ealing where somebody was arrested. Christian Hacking was arrested there. Uh, the case oh, yeah. was eventually dropped for technical reasons. But it seems as though even silent prayer uh, would be banned outside a clinic. And then, and then sort of just talking, what, 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 you know, what else is not allowed? Um, there's all manner of behaviours which, which are not allowed. Um, you know, the, the, the type of things that you would expect, things like harassing women, intimidating women. I mean, there's already laws to deal with that. But there's other things as well. So apart from prayer, there's also the banning of, um, for example, uh, use, the use of holy water and showing any signs, not just graphic imagery, but any signs whatsoever that suggest that maybe there is an alternative. So it's a real, real pushback, not just in terms of the issues concerning abortion, but free speech. It and, is, you know, you, it are is. You, are you allowed to say abortion outside abortion clinic or not? Well, I'm not too sure whether there would be a real risk that even if you said anything to do with abortion, that you will be arrested. And right. so um, I think um, Isabel uh, had an experience. And handing out a leaflet without even saying anything, is that illegal as well? Well, if it, if it relates to abortion, yes. Just yeah. just to add to this, then in in Birmingham, what has been prohibited is any um, images or textual references using the words baby, mum, fetus, soul. So specific words have been criminalised um, because they're supposed to connect either directly or indirectly to abortion. I mean, I know somebody who was who was told recently that um, their car couldn't be parked inside the PSPO area, inside the buffer zone area, because it had a bumper sticker on that said, unborn lives matter. Um, and apparently that broke the rules of the PSPO. So it's really draconian. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, so and Mike, you're helping, or we're helping Isabel um, challenge this in law. Just tell us about that then. Yeah, so there is a regime whereby you can take this to the High Court. If you believe, or if somebody who was affected by these orders believes that um, something has gone wrong in terms of the process or the fact that it was imposed in the first place, you can bring a court case in the High Court against the council. So at, the, at this point in time, there is uh, there are two cases which are ongoing, um, one which is in Birmingham, and it's likely that um, there may well be one in Bournemouth as well. That uh, nothing has started as of yet. However, it's likely that there may well be a case there as well. Uh, in which this is, Birmingham one is Isabel's case. Birmingham is, is Isabel's case, yeah. And yeah. so then there will be arguments put forward by the lawyers to say that really this is a violation of free speech. This is a violation of um, uh, people's uh, religious freedoms. And also it's a violation of the women's rights as well, because freedom of speech isn't just about me and what I want to say, but it's also about people's freedom to hear information, not yeah. necessarily that they always want to hear. And yeah. so so it, it, it's it's not just about the, uh, the people who are attending the vigils or protesting or whatever it is. It's also about very much about the women and them receiving the information that they would not receive inside the clinic in all likelihood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and by the way, if you're watching live, um, do comment on Facebook or YouTube and we can see your comments. If you've got questions for Mike or for Isabel, um, put them through. I can see one here from Carol 
Donaldson on YouTube, how do they know you're praying silently? Isn't that thought policing? Well, yes, it is, isn't it, really? <laughs> I, don't, I think in that situation, it's, it's an interesting <coughs> question, evidentially, because I think what would happen is this, is that people would assume that you are, the police would come up to you, and if you confess, then that they may take as, as sufficient evidence, because obviously you right. can prove it otherwise. Right. And so uh, I think Isabel was told the other day by a police officer who approached a, a local priest that uh, if people assume that you are uh, protesting or praying, then that's good enough for them. And so wow. therefore that, that okay. may well result. And I think it may not stand up in court, but that frightens enough people to say, well, I'm not going to go and do that because I don't want to end up in jail. Of course. Yeah, of course. So, Isabel, um, tell us about some of your stories then of some of these women who've changed their minds as a result of your own ministry. Yeah, I mean, over the years, there have been so, so many women who, who've changed their mind. And like I was saying, you know, these these are women who um, people might think, oh, you know, they come to an abortion centre and, and they already know what they're doing. They've, you know, they've, they've made up their mind. The fact that so many women do change their mind um, shows that, A, some women haven't definitely made up their mind never to change it again. And also some women have made up their mind because they've got very limited resources. Um, there's very limited support available to them. Um, but sometimes it can take just the slightest thing to help a woman um, realise that she can continue a pregnancy. I mean, I remember um, a lovely Muslim couple that we met outside the abortion mm -hmm. centre. Um, and I think um, their main concern was the fact that they were pregnant outside of marriage and, and, and how their um, family might you know, look at that. And um, they met somebody um, outside the abortion centre and agreed to go to um, a, a pregnancy counselling centre and, and talk this through and look at some help that was available. Mm -hmm. um, so they did this, and I remember when they spoke to the woman at the counselling centre, the woman um, said, the woman who worked there said to the couple, you know, what was it that made you change your mind? And they said, well, that morning um, we prayed, and we prayed that um, an angel would show us what we should do. And they said that that woman that we met outside the abortion centre, she was that angel to us. Um, oh. And so many women have echoed that and, and not just in Birmingham I hear that from people who run pro-life vigils around the country that people pray for a sign as to what they should do which shows mm. they're really in two minds mm. about yeah. what their decision really is and it can take something yeah. as little as just seeing somebody there being offered yes. a leaflet being directed to some resources yes. um, and also the, the flip side of that is you know I remember actually on the very first day that I was praying outside the abortion center as part of 40 days for life I remember um, a young woman walking past on the other side of the street who was sort of in her late teens. Yeah. And she stopped and looked over to me and said, you know, what, what are you doing there? Mm -hmm. So I explained, I said, you know, we're here to offer alternatives to anyone who might be in a difficult situation when they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she just looked at me really sadly and went, why weren't you here last week? If you'd been Very here much. last week, I wouldn't have had my abortion. And wow. that just really stuck with me. You know, sometimes it can take such a little thing to help somebody who's maybe just having a moment of panic or, or mm. just feeling really mm. isolated. Um, mm. And because they don't find that, and they certainly won't find that inside the abortion centre, um, and sadly that's another popular misconception that they'll be provided with alternatives inside the abortion centre. Um, mm. But because they don't find that, they end up making a, you know, a life-changing decision to mm. have an abortion, um, which sometimes they immediately can regret, um, you know, instantaneously. Yes. 
Yes, amazing stories. And you told us one about somebody who escorted women into the clinic. Can you just tell us that, that story as well? Yeah, so we, I, I know um, for a while outside the abortion centre, because we were being labelled um, as intimidating women, um, as I say, this wasn't something that actually women going into the abortion centre had said, but um, the staff, I think they may be worried that we actually um, maybe did um, help women to, to realise they could continue a pregnancy. And so because of that, um, affected the rate of their abortions. Um, so they employed um, a man to come and escort women from outside the abortion centre inside so that we couldn't really talk to them or offer them leaflets. Right. Um, this man would stand between us and the woman if we were having a conversation to make it so awkward that in the end the woman would walk off. If we gave a woman a leaflet, he would often snatch out of her hand, tear it up and then throw the leaflet back at our feet. Wow. Sometimes he'd wait till she'd just gone into the abortion centre and then run in after her and take the leaflet um, so that we could you know, not even have the opportunity of offering her another one. Um, very, very frustrating. But there was actually one woman in our group. Um, she was very lovely and she really befriended this man. Um, used to always ask him about his family and, and, you know, was always very kind to him considering he was very aggressive. Um, and one day after many, many months, this man came back um, on, on one particular morning when we were there. And he was just dressed in his normal civilian clothes rather than his usual um, uniform. And he was carrying the uniform and he went into the abortion center. Um, when he came out, he didn't have the uniform anymore. He'd obviously left it there. And he came up to us and he said, just to let you know, he said, I've handed in my notice today. And he said, if I ever come back, he said, it'll be to join you, not ever to go back there again. Wow. Um, so yeah, considering there'd been wow. such a lot of aggression to start with, but I think he also, you know, saw some of the other side, what, which what we see as well. He saw women coming out, being sick in the gutter, sobbing into their phones. You know, you can't help but see this if you stand long enough outside the abortion centres. Um, and sometimes just that really, you know, lost look in somebody's eyes after they've had an abortion. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. people can immediately feel relief. Um, but sometimes, like I say, it's instantaneous sometimes how, how women can, can have that regret. Um, mm. And it's so needless when there is other alternatives there um, that women should at least be able to have that option. If we really are pro-choice, which so many people pridely name themselves as, if we if we yeah. really believe in choice, then then what is wrong with that that choice being offered to women um, right at the last minute? Because often that is the only time that women get to consider another alternative. So many women will panic when they are pregnant, and the default position can be an abortion. Um, so their first stop, sometimes even before going to a doctor, can be to go to the abortion centre. Um, right. So to at least have a leaflet, which is looking at alternatives, which will look at help that's available, um, looks a little bit at the development of the baby, just to say our leaflet to check by a doctor to make sure we're handing out factually correct information to women going in. Um, yeah. And just got some details of where they can get that help if they want to, so that if they think about it, you know, maybe later on when they get home or even after an abortion, you know, where they can get that help. That's so important. Wow, it's, it's amazing stuff. And it? it's, it's very saddening hearing about these poor women and how they feel both before and after taking, um, having these abortions. Um, so, um, Mike, what about harassment? Because this is the big allegation, isn't it? That this is harassment, that they're harassing women. Now, surely handing a leaflet is not harassment, is it? No, I mean, it's... In my line of work, we say it's easy to uh, allege, it's difficult to disprove. And 
the word harassment is just thrown around by so many different uh, people these days, by the police in particular. Anybody can say I'm harassed. Anybody can say I'm distressed. But where is the actual evidence? And that's what we would say in any court case. And mm -hmm. it, the evidence is is just not there. I mean, uh, just by way of an example, in relation to the uh, recent Bournemouth case, um, the report which was put together by the council, and which you we, which you can see online, they have made the point that they there is no reports from locals within the area of any problems, and so therefore the only the only reports of harassment have come from the clinic themselves, and it seems as though what happens is this is that if you go into the clinic. They will ask you about your experiences outside and then they you fill in a specific form and, um, and are encouraged to make a complaint because obviously they have got a dog in the fight, BPAS. Whereas, unfortunately, when the council put together their consultation, they didn't actually consult the people outside. They did not consult 40 Days for Life. And that is a tragedy. So they, even the councils, this when they choose to, 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 to make an order, they have to do this, this whole process they're not uh, doing it in the way in which they should be doing it, listening to all sides and making a decision based once they've heard all the evidence for and against, um, because the fact of the matter is this, is that there is very little evidence of so-called harassment. But what about harassment the other way, Isabel? You know, because um, you've experienced harassment, I understand, from pro-abortion activists, is that right? Yeah, sadly, we do find that, um, and again, not from people using the abortion centre, that's actually very rare. Um, it's usually locals who sometimes can be very intolerant of any views other than their own. Um, so we've definitely experienced that where we are at the abortion centre at the moment. We've had um, many people swearing at us, um, at spitting at us. Um, physically assaulting us, mocking us, religious abuse, you know, um, men who go there as in our volunteers are regularly accused of being, you know, paedophiles and perverts, despite the fact that they haven't said a word to anybody. We even, you know, at the moment, we're not even offering any leaflets, and yet they're still accused of all these things. But the, the abuse has been absolutely horrendous. Um, and we've actually had situations that we've had to get the police involved because we've had property stolen. Um, young women threaten that they're going to be followed home and things will happen to their families. Um, and, you know, we, we had a case a while ago where um, one of the locals had to do what's called restorative justice, um, which meant he had to write us a letter of apology for his behaviour because he had... I think we've got a video of that. We've got a video oh, of that yeah. incident, haven't we? Um, a one minute video. So let's, let's just show that video because we get to discuss what's, what's really happening here. Let's look at that if we can. Thank you. Why do, you, why do you think you can stand here and bully girls? Do you know what they've gone through to go in there? Do you care? Does your f***ing care? I don't touch my phone and don't touch me. I'm just warning you. Am I touching you? you? Am I you, touching you? you? Just, I'm asking you, you why do you think phone. it's acceptable to bully girls? Why do you think it's acceptable to bully a poor girl going in there? Because your f***ing God thinks it's acceptable. I'm not going to engage with you. So. Yeah, because you're a f***ing command. You're praying. You're praying to poor girls. Do you know what they've gone through? Have they been raped by a priest? I'll rip your f***ing throat out, mate. If you find you around my area bullying girls again, I'll follow you to your house and I'll bully everyone who comes in and out of your house, all right? I'll bully everyone who comes in and out of your house and I'll be a better bully than you would at all, mate. A much better bully. 
me? Why don't you stand up to me? Only standing up to the like 18 year old girls. Fucking got us, religious. Well, excuse all the bad language um, there, but um, Mike, that was pretty abusive, was it not? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's clearly a crime. It's clearly, uh, arguably, uh, uh, what we call a section full public order offence, or alternatively, even a common assault. Um, but what has actually happened? Um, you can imagine that if, if a young lady was spoken to in, in a similar fashion, it's almost certain that somebody would end up in court, and rightfully so. Um, however, here we have restorative justice, and restorative justice sounds quite nice. Um, is is the idea that you don't go to court, you don't go to the police station, you don't, you're not interviewed, you just have to write a letter of apology, and then that's it. And so, in some circumstances, it's it's a it's a very good way to deal with things. But in this particular case, as I understand from Isabel, it didn't stop the behaviour. And so, in those circumstances, you do have to use the police, you do have to use the courts in order so that people understand that they cannot go out and commit criminal offences in this way and infringe uh, people's right to, uh, to free speech um, and to receive information. So it's, it's just as much about these women um, receiving information as it is as about Isabel standing there and um, speaking the truth about what's happening. So the women who go into the abortion clinics, which are the people everyone's concerned about, are not being harassed, whereas the women and men who might be standing there handing out a leaflet are being harassed. That's actually what's happening here. Very frequently, yeah. And, and you can tell with that video, you can tell the, um, and just to say there were um, two trainee priests standing there. That's why there were so many insults about, about priests coming out of that man's mouth. Right. Um, and, and because they had already been um, abused verbally by this man so many times, that's why they had their camera ready. And you can probably see that as soon as he gets out of the car, somebody had a camera ready. Right. Um, many, many people had had already suffered at the hands of this man. Um, he pushed someone else into a hedge and they never came back again. You know, other people were really, really frightened. That's just one of many who, who were there. This is just relentless, the amount of abuse. It was just happening every day. And the irony is we have now moved outside the buffer zone. So we're right away from the abortion centre, right at the other end of the road, actually standing outside a church because that's the um, nearest place that we can be. And yet we are still being abused constantly. There's people coming past, swearing at us, spitting at us, stealing our property. So we see it's more a matter of intolerance and a difference in, in ideologies rather than because anyone really thinks that we're harassing. And, and what, how much you know, do the police come and protect you and arrest people when these things happen? Frequently we dial 999. That's what we've been told to do when, when we're really coming under a threat. Um, and frequently those calls aren't even responded to. Um, it's, it took a lot of work and pressure to even get that man to do restorative justice. And as Michael was saying, that man came back again after he'd written the letter of apology and was still shouting. Right. Um, but often the police seem reluctant to get involved, reluctant to act. Um, and why, Mike, why aren't the police enforcing against people who are actually harassing? And yet, you know, we have had, well, at least one instance, someone an attempted arrest of someone for praying outside an abortion clinic. What's, what's going on here with the police? Well, uh, the honest answer is that I don't know. Um, but what sometimes you hear from some police officers, um, I've heard from, not in this particular case, but in other cases, is that they are of the belief mm. that 
unless you were doing what you're doing. In other words, if, if you weren't standing outside the clinic, then there wouldn't be any problems. So if you leave the clinic, there won't be any problems. And you're causing them all of these problems by standing there and creating work for them. So why don't you just let these people go about their lawful activity? And so therefore, there wouldn't be any problem anymore. That's the way that they often see this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the police officers in our area did say to me, if you don't want to be assaulted, well, don't come out of your house. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that that's every police officer who feels that way. But clearly, that is the view of some. That... But then they're not they're not enforcing the law. What's the word without fear or favour? Are they, Mike? No, they're not. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, you know, in the United Kingdom, there is policing by consent. And there shouldn't be any form of discrimination in terms of what your views are, your beliefs are. And there is an obligation on police in order to uphold people's rights, even if they are offensive. And I'm not saying that what Isabella is doing is offensive, but even if they were offensive, then there's still an obligation in order to allow people to go about their lawful business. And if they wish to say things or to do things which other people find offensive, then it doesn't matter because offensiveness in and of itself doesn't matter. But I think, you know, the sad thing is this, is that, you know, as Christians, I think that well, as a Christian, what I believe is this, is that there is very much a, a battle going on here, because what we're talking about, we're talking about life and death here. And mm -hmm. so therefore, you know, these people, you know, some of the witness statements that I have read, you know, will, will cause you to, to uh, you know, come to tears as, as to what people have gone through. And, and then at, at the very last moment, you know, they decide to change their minds and Today, we have hundreds of children alive as a result of the work of, of Isabel and many other people around the country who basically for no pay and for really the only payment they get is abuse and, um, and the opportunity to, to, to be spat at and pushed into a bush and all the rest of it. And but for their courage in going out day in, day out, there will be hundreds less people alive today. And, and I so, think, yeah. Yeah. So Isabel... What would you say, right, because one of the allegations that this chap makes is that um, these poor women have already made up their minds, they've gone through an awful lot before they get there, you know, and they don't, they don't what the last thing they need is someone else bothering them. What would you say in response to that? Well, I'm the one that's been talking to these women for 20 years or whatever outside abortion centres. So, um, yes, there may be some women who are there who have definitely made up their mind that that's what they want to do. Well, they're free to continue to do that. Um, you know, we simply say, you know, is there any help we can offer you or would you like a leaflet? If they say no or they walk past, they're free to do that. Mm. Um, but many women haven't. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of women who just simply don't know what help is available to them. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, they're having an abortion um, also because they might feel pressure from a partner. I mean, there was um, yeah. a recent poll that was commissioned by the BBC and that poll showed that 15% uh, of women aged 18 to 44 said they felt under pressure to abort. Now, that is a lot of women um, mm. that were saying they felt under pressure. Um, and I would certainly say that's, that's echoed, if not more so, in the women that I talk to who do feel either under pressure from a partner mm. or from mm. their circumstances um, and, and just feel that, that it isn't really yes, their we were, we were thinking about this in the office as well. So... 15% of all women say they've experienced pressure to terminate a pregnancy. Now, but if you limit it to all the women who've had an abortion, which is about 30% or something, then 15% out of the 30% is like 550% of all the women who've had an abortion who have felt pressure to have that. So that's, you know, half the women, roughly, you know, with a rough calculation like that, um, 
have experienced pressure or feeling under pressure from it. You know, whether it's pressure of circumstance, it's pressure from a partner, pressure from family, pressure from you know, all sorts of things. But um, there and are. I, and I would definitely say this is echoed with um, we we work very closely alongside um, Rachel's Vineyard, which is one of the you know many organisations that provide help for anyone who's been yeah. hurt by abortion. Yeah. And they say this. They say that the amount of women who come to them who felt yeah. the decision wasn't really their own decision, you know, that yeah. this was someone else's decision. This is people who've, who've had an abortion, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what can make it, you know, so particularly painful that they feel it wasn't really their decision to start with, that that, that decision was taken away from them. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely say that that's that's echoed um, in, in the women we speak to. And also it's probably why we have so many people involved in our campaign, so many women particularly, who are themselves post-abortive. So a lot of the people who are standing there outside the abortion centre, far from judging anyone, they mm. have been through abortions themselves, some of them right. multiple times. Right. Um, they know that they they felt that they couldn't have an abortion because there was so much pressure, because of so many difficulties. Yeah. And they want to make sure that nobody else feels that pressure to have an abortion or that lack of support to be able to keep a child. So that's why so many people do get involved in this kind of work um, to make sure that there is real choice for people, um, yeah. in, in, you know, that rather than their own situations when they felt that massive lack of choice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Mike, now, so we've had these PSPOs, public, public, mm -hmm. order, yeah, that effectively buffer zones around local clinics, and now last month, um, MPs voted to impose buffer zones across every abortion clinic in the country. Tell us tell us about that. Yeah, so the narrative has gone out uh, loud and clear from, in part, probably um, the fear as to what has happened in the United States and obviously uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned and people have thought, goodness me, what's happening here? We need to do something about it. And on the back of that, a uh, Labour MP by the name of Stella Creasy, who is, is, who is a well-known uh, advocate of abortion, decided to introduce a clause into the Public Order Act that's going through Parliament at the moment to make it an offence nationwide um, if you do certain things inside the buffer zone. And so, and at, when as it was originally drafted, it said this, is that um, if you interfere with a woman, and interference includes seeking to influence, um, if you advise or persuade or attempt to advise or persuade or otherwise express an opinion, uh, if you inform or attempt to inform about abortion services of any means, including without limitation, graphic, uh, physical, verbal, or written means, or sketches, photographs, records, stores, broadcasts, or transmits images, audio, or likeness. And so as a result of that, um, that's what's happening in Parliament. Yeah, so that would impose buffer zones across the entire country, would it? Yes, it would. Um, it would. Is... Yeah, so basically what happens is this, is that if it goes through Parliament, um, uh, without any further amendments by the House of Lords or by uh, Commons, then we will have a nationwide de facto law which says that you cannot even express an opinion. You go into um, one of these zones then and you just say there is an alternative, that's an arrest. Abortion, I don't believe is good, that's an arrest. And, and it's a crime. It's, it, this isn't just... You know, an order, a civil order. This is this. Or even is... just asking, are you sure you want to go through this? Are you a friend? Yeah. Are you being threatened? Are you being bullied? Is you know any of those questions, then you could go to prison. And this is you know this is six months. 
Um, and in fact, what they're seeking to do is they're also seeking to make this what we call an indictable offence, which means you can go to the Crown Court and you can get more than six months, up to two years in prison for this. And wow. so that, you know, I mean, just expressing an opinion, you could go to prison for up to two years. I mean, it, it, if, you know, whatever your views are on, on an abortion, if, yeah. uh, you know, whatever your religious views are, you know, the fact is, is that this is a diabolical threat to freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. So, Isabel, what's your thinking about this new move now in the Public Order Act? Yeah, hugely concerning. And and I think, like Michael was saying, the the problem is um, that an offer of help is now branded as harassment. Mere presence is is branded as intimidation. Prayer is protest. So words, the meaning of words have been actually changed um, Mm. to suit Mm. this, um, Mm. which is really concerning. And and I kind of find the sad thing is there's there's quite a lot of people who say they agree with buffer zones, um, but in actual fact, they do support our position. And it's, be, it's because what we're doing has been so misrepresented in the media. Yeah. You know, we too want harassment to be eliminated outside abortion centres. You know, the fact is, it's not happening there. Um, we too agree that, that women going to have an abortion shouldn't be intimidated. Of course, they shouldn't be, you know, called murderers and, and you know, chased down the street and have their, their entrance to the abortion centre blocked. I mean, it's just the idea of that happening. It, it's just ridiculous. Um, of course, we agree that that should not be allowed. Um, and in fact, mm-hmm. everybody who joins our campaign has to sign what's called a statement of peace. Mm. saying they agree to behave lovingly, um, peacefully, to obey the law, they're not allowed to use words like murder or murderer, um, you know, things that we would think, of, this is an absolute given that of course you don't become part of our campaign unless you're mm. willing to agree to all these things. And other 40 days campaigns would behave in, in exactly the same way, having these same rules. Um, so, yeah. so we are already making sure that none of that is part of our campaign. So in a way, as Michael said earlier, if people are worried about harassment and intimidation, that's already illegal and that doesn't happen anyway. What we're actually talking about well, now- well, It happens against you and it's not being enforced. Yeah, yeah. But it certainly doesn't happen to, to women going into abortion centres. Yes, yes. Um, and if it did, why, why would they be approaching us? Surely the fact that so many women do change their mind and do continue their pregnancy yeah. is, is a testament to the fact that the people standing there actually aren't offending them to start with. I mean, I can think of countless women who've actually come and given me a hug and thanked me for being there, even though they have continued in to have an abortion. They have just appreciated the fact that somebody has taken the time to show they cared. Um, That in itself can mean an awful lot to a woman on a difficult day. Yeah, yeah. So, and Mike, the striking thing about this amendment is that the government then had to concede, admit um, in a formal statement that it breaches human rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it does. At face value, there is an absolute violation of people's right to free speech. Um, because to criminalise speech in in that kind of draconian way is not something that you see unless normally you travel to North Korea. And the sad thing is this, is that a, a number of MPs, well, the a large number of MPs obviously believe that this was entirely necessary because obviously where they get their information from, including, for example, people who are ostensibly Christian, like Steve Baker, somebody who otherwise is a really good guy, does good things mm. in Parliament. Mm. However, he was of the belief and he voted for this. Um, and so, you know, so if you are listening 
you need to go and, and send an email, send a message, or, or maybe meet with your MP. And don't just assume because maybe that they're, they're a professing Christian or Roman Catholic that maybe they'll, they're going to be saying the right things and, and do the right things. They won't. You've, you've got to really um, explain what is actually happening on the ground. Because when you actually look at the evidence on yeah. the ground, it is just yeah. it is smoke and mirrors, and it, the, the harassment and so on is just not there. Yeah. So... And I've just seen an interesting comment here from someone called John the Baptist on, on YouTube. What if you're wearing a T-shirt saying, I love babies? Would that be a criminal offence? Well, potentially, yeah, because it's expressing an opinion which which might be suggested by some people to be critical of abortion. I mean, the thing is, is that, is that very often these things have to be tested in court, but... The problem is, is that when an act is passed, it may well have one intention. Mm. Like, you know, the very best example is obviously the, the Abortion Act of 1967, which mm -hmm. made abortion legal just in a very small number of circumstances. Mm -hmm. But we have abortion on demand. So mm -hmm. when, you know, parliamentarians are pushing these things through and, they're, and they're, they're pushing this narrative that don't worry about this, it's all going to be absolutely fine. Then mm -hmm. what you actually find 10, 20 years on is mm -hmm. that it's actually, the law has been abused to such an extent that what, what you're going to have is you're going to have um, no free speech zones outside abortion clinics. And then it, will, it will extend that, you know, what, what we see in America is this, is that in, in university campuses that there are safe space zones that you can't express opinions. You can't express opinions on Twitter or on Facebook. Um, well, even, about, in Scotland, uh, even in Scotland, I think it's worse than here in terms of people feel very scared to talk about abortion. But I just, just want to close maybe with this, Isabel. Um, what would you say to... Um, Shelley, is it? Um, Shelley Meads on Facebook presence, she says, what gives you the right to be standing there making these women feel worse than they already do? What would you, how would you respond to someone who says that? Well, again, um, what, I, what I was saying earlier is that there's so many women who themselves approach us. The women going into the abortion centres aren't telling us they're being harassed and that they feel intimidated. They're thanking us for being there. I mean, when we look at the amount of repeat abortions that happen each year, I think last year it was over 90,000 women who have an abortion. So nearly half of all women who had an abortion last year were having a repeat abortion. And what we see is if, if nothing changes, nothing changes. You know, many people are in a difficult situation, hence the fact that they're considering an abortion. If somebody doesn't come and help them with that situation, whether it might be finances, a, a, a difficult or an abusive relationship, um, you know, maybe struggling with their accommodation, you know, th these kind of situations, if somebody doesn't help them with that situation, um, mm -hmm. then they can end up coming back to that abortion centre six months later, because abortion doesn't really solve their problems. Um, yeah. It just creates another new set of problems. What we're doing is actually seeking to, to find out what their real problems are. Why is it they're considering yeah. an abortion? Um, yeah. And like I say, actually deal with those problems. And the help that we that we offer is simply an offer. If somebody doesn't want that help, they are still free to walk past us, um, not even to interact with us at all. But so many women choose to interact with us because they are in really difficult situations and are actually just seeking a, a way out of that difficulty. Um, mm. And sometimes this is the absolute last lifeline for those women. And they haven't really made up their minds, as you were saying earlier. So... Um... So, Mike, so um, here we are now. Tell us, what, what is the next stage of this steel case? How will this progress now, um, Isabel's case? Isabel's case is likely to go to a hearing sometime early next year, hopefully. And so there'll be arguments uh, from, uh, from Isabel, and there's going to be right. arguments from the council as to why they did the right thing. 
And then the judge could say, okay, that's fine, Boom, uh, Birmingham, you've done absolutely nothing wrong and, and it just stays in place. Or they might moderate the order or alternatively, they just might get rid of it altogether. So that's, that's the possibility. But I think the thing is, is that every case which goes to the High Court and is one in favour of the councils, they're emboldened. You know, so, so they now go back and, and, and they will say in their paperwork, well, this has been tested in the High Court already in the Ealing case. And so therefore, we're able to do this. You know, we're not going to just go after individuals who are bad. We're going to just make a blanket rule for everybody, uh, which which stops them from going into the area. And, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's sister support or whether it's 40 Days for Life or any other group, you're all banned. Mm. And so the fact is, is that sister support are, are more than happy for that to be the case. It's, it's people such as Isabel who are actually there day in, day out, who are actually trying to help people, who are actually um, really the people who are badly affected by these draconian measures. Mm. Well, look, I think we'll, we'll close it there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Isabel, for what you do. Very, very valuable work. Um, immensely impressive work. And, and so thankful for the ways in which you're helping all these wonderful women. And uh, Mike as well for the case. And we need to pray uh, for that case to be successful and um, also for what's going through Parliament at the moment. So listen, thank you for watching, uh, listening, uh, tuning in wherever you are. And um, do follow us on Facebook and Twitter and, and uh, Instagram. And um, look forward to joining you again next week. Thank you very much. Bye.